Alistair and Herodias walk through the streets of Durinbar, in the sparse illumination of the lantern swaying with Herodias' stride. Alistair keeps his hands balled in his pockets, his form rigid as he mutters under his breath. Herodias lets Alistair converse with himself for several minutes before she speaks up. You alright? Why wouldn't I be alright? We're only walking through a town at night which is under the tyrannical rule of a racist bigot. It's not as if his goons who have assaulted me in the past slink in the shadows and stalk behind us. Simple no would have sufficed. Herodias brandishes her lantern out around her in the dark, adjusting the spade thrown over her shoulder to keep it from clattering to the ground. Along the outskirts of the lantern light, Robert and three other constables can be seen sliding through the shadows behind them. Look, I'm not good at this whole sharing feelings thing, but... The difference between being intelligent and being a fool is knowing when to keep quiet. But we shouldn't leave things like this. And thus, any lingering doubts I had about your intelligence fade away. Listen here, asshole. I'm trying to help. Did anyone ask you to help? What do you want me to do, Alistair? I can't help it that you're a Negro. My being a Negro isn't the problem here, Herodias. The problem here, Herodias, is you your society, and your inane religion. Honestly, Herodias, I applaud your loyalty, but quite frankly, it doesn't make any sense. The fundamental principle behind your faith is your proclaimed salvation for your apparent wrongdoings in this life, a slim hope for a better life after next, if you will. But if the church has stripped this away from you, what possible reason could you have to stay? Don't change the subject. Too afraid to confront the inherent contradictions of your beliefs? Fine. I don't stay for myself. Then who do you stay for? Ezra and Silas, mainly. Although, I do stay for Eli and you two. You stay for me? I don't recall ever asking you to waste your life following the tenets of some foolhardy religion. Nobody asked Jesus to die for them before his crucifixion, either. Yet, here I am. You then willingly present yourself as the offering for your community, or your flock, as you will. Knowing full well that they will slaughter you someday, yet you still graze amongst them. Yes. What could possess you to make such a horrendous error? What possesses me? Perhaps the Holy Spirit. Alistair scoffs and lengthens his stride, advancing ahead of Herodias, who rolls her eyes and calls after him. But that's not the way I see it. You ask yourself why any man would sacrifice himself? Well, it's... Pretty simple, really. You tell me, Alistair. As a man dictated by logic, do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Of course. Then, if it came down to it, would you sacrifice one life to save four others? It depends on the other variables involved. Like? Age, gender, race, to name a few. My choice, of course would also be affected by any former engagements or any other factors which may affect my bias subconsciously. Then let's assume they're the same. Unlikely, but yes. If they were all the same, I would sacrifice one life for four. Then why are you so surprised that I would do the same? Because I'm not sacrificing my own life for four, nor am I condemning the one to a fiery eternity. How much better, then, is it to sacrifice one for four if a fiery eternity is what awaits us all? I would sooner see myself burn, Alistair, than I would see you. I hope you'll come to see it that way, too. You can save your breath, Herodias. I'd sooner see myself dead than be shackled by your faith. I'm not trying to do anything. 
You're the one who wanted to talk about this. The edge of the lantern light falls on Robert and a second constable, Georgi, who blocks the road ahead. Alistair and Herodias slow their stride and stop before them as two more constables, Eduard and Dwar, enter the light behind them. Eduard, Georgi, and Dwar swing batons through the air, bringing the slabs of metal down on their open hands or against the sides of nearby buildings. Is there a problem here? Or did you decide that you're no longer attached to all your teeth? No problem with you. Yet. And if you're so eager to open your mouth, darling, I've got something you could put it around. We don't have time for this. Shame you had to talk, darling. Guess you haven't learned your place yet, have you? You should have said yes when I offered to take you to King Frederick's. Now we're gonna have to do our business in an alley, won't we? Robert flicks his hand, and Georgi steps closer to her. I would say back off, because I don't want to hurt you. But truth be told, I'm itching for a reason to beat the shit out of your racist ass. Georgi swings his baton at Herodias, who sidesteps the blow. Eduard runs up from behind her and turns his baton at her side. Herodias catches Eduard by the wrist and holds him tight. Last warning, you fucks. I don't play games. Dwar rushes at Herodias. She rolls her eyes and sticks out her foot, catching Dwar, who stumbles to the ground, his chin bleeding as it slams across the cobblestones. Herodias kicks out at Eduard, and her foot lands squarely in his gut. He stumbles backward, but Herodias keeps her grip tight on his wrist. With his arms fully extended, she slams her open palm up into his elbow. The bone snaps, and shards break from the skin. Eduard screams and falls to his knees. Herodias twists his wrist, disarming the baton from his hand, slipping it into her own and slamming the baton against Eduard's crown. He drops, unmoving to the ground. Georgi swings his baton down on Herodias again, who deflects the blow with her own. Dwar rubs his chin and growls as he tackles Herodias around the waist, knocking her to the ground. While she struggles with Dwar, Robert pulls a Rastin Gasser revolver from his waist and takes aim at Herodias. Sorry, love. As the fight progresses, Alistair runs off to a nearby alley, taking shelter behind several trash bins. Herodias frees her arms from Dwar and crashes her baton against his head. Dwar goes limp, and Herodias grabs him by the collar, pulling him fully on top of her as Robert fires three times. The bullets sink into Dwar's back, blood flies from his lips, and pours from his wounds, soaking into Herodias. She then rolls out from underneath Dwar as Robert fires two more times down at her, both missing and sparking against the stones. She scampers to her feet as Georgi rushes headlong at her, flecks of spittle dribbling from his lips as he yells. Mimicking Dwar, Herodias tackles Georgi around the waist and continues to charge forwards towards Robert. Yelling, Robert begins to back up rapidly as he fires two more shots at Herodias, which sink into Georgi. His dying breaths escape from him in a groan. Herodias throws Georgi's corpse at Robert, who stumbles backward to avoid it. As he struggles to keep his balance, Herodias charges forward and smacks her baton in the back of the hand Robert holds the revolver in. It clatters to the cobblestones. Robert pulls back his fist and connects it with Herodias' stomach. She doubles over and grunts. As she kneels over, Robert grabs her black hair and slams her face down on his knee. Herodias drops down to all fours and spits onto the road. Robert reels back his foot and kicks her in the stomach. Her body is lifted off the ground at the impact. Before she can recover, another kick follows in the same fashion. As Herodias groans on the ground, Robert squats down and pulls her hair back. His eyes lustfully flick over her broken and bleeding face. Such a shame to ruin a pretty face. But you left me no choice, beautiful. Do you think you learned your lesson yet? Herodias spits in his face. 
Robert shakes his head and throws her back onto the ground. Wiping the spit from his face, Robert pulls back for another kick. Before his foot can reach her, however, Herodias reaches out and grabs Robert's knee. His eyes widen as he looks down at her. He tries to take a step back, but as his knee relaxes, Herodias twists her wrist and dislocates the knee. Robert screams and falls to the ground. Herodias claws her way on top of Robert as he cries. She straddles the constable and pulls him by his collar forward as she reels back her bloody knuckles. Her fist connects with his jaw and blood flies from his mouth. Her fist connects several more times with the man, against the bridge of his nose, the sides of his jaw pounding into his ear and across his temple and into his left eye. Several teeth fly from his mouth and Herodias throws him back onto the stones. She stumbles to her feet and slides into a defensive stance, observing Robert. His chest struggles to breathe. She wipes the blood from her face with her coat sleeve. Then she pulls her pistol, a Smith & Wesson Model 3, from her inner coat pocket and crouches down next to Robert. The barrel of Herodias's gun gleams against his temple. The only reason I'm not pulling this trigger is I'll never hear the end of it from Ezra if I do. But make no mistake. Herodias grabs Robert by the throat with her free hand and pulls him tight against the barrel of her gun. You try anything like this again, and I will not hesitate to kill you. I don't want to see your ugly mug for the rest of our stay in this shithole. Do you understand? Between Robert's rasping breaths, he looks up at Herodias through his swollen eye in silence. She sighs and throws him back against the ground. Herodias slides the pistol into its holster and tosses Edward's baton down an alley. Alistair, where'd you run off to? It's safe to come out now. Alistair pokes his nose above the trash bin he took shelter behind. Seeing Herodias, he sighs and brushes his clothes as he joins her. In silence, Alistair brushes past her and continues towards the graveyard, carelessly stepping over the constables. You're welcome, by the way. Don't hold your breath for a thank you. You can't be serious. Certainly I am. I can't see a reason to waste my breath on ingenuine remarks meant to stroke your ego. You can't see a reason. How about because I just saved your ass from a chest full of bullets? I suppose we'll never know what would have happened since you decided to force your way into my affairs. Your affairs? What did you want me to do then, Alistair? Just stand there while they took turns bloodying your face? Of course not. There are other ways to solve problems other than through means of violence, you know. However, I don't know why I expected a brute such as yourself to realize that. I suppose it isn't fair of me to hold you to standards beyond your reach. So, thank you, Herodias. Right. And I'm the one with the ego? <laughs> yes, you are the one with the insatiable ego. It's not uncommon for those of your faith. Ugh, really? Again with this? Your practices and laws teach you that nothing you ever do is your fault. It's your sinful nature compelling you to fail, but you yourself are free of blame. You are taught that you are loved, that you are unique, that you are chosen, that your life isn't meaningless unlike the rest of us sinners who are destined to perdition. You hold yourself up through your salvation, thinking that means you reign above us ordinary folk who still revel in sin. These elements are poison, and when they are mixed, you get men like Martin, a prime example of everything wrong with the church. Yeah, you're right. What? Clean the shit out of your ears, Alistair. I said you're right. I'm not Ezra. I'm not going to stand before you and claim Christianity is the key to the world's problems. 
It has its faults. Pride and arrogance rank high amongst them. But what am I supposed to do about it? Stop believing in these lies and leave the church. Herodias laughs, blood falling from her lip onto her clothes as her insane mirth rings out through the still night. (laughs) Uh, Ow. Stop believing. I hate to break it to you, Alistair, but I am not God. I don't get to decide what is and what isn't. My belief in something literally means shit. If it did, I would close my eyes and ride a goddamn unicorn. I expected someone as smart as you to realize that in this world, there is only is and isn't. God is, Alistair. It's that simple, really. How could you possibly know that God is? And how do you know anything is real? Facts and evidence. Everything Eli do not evidence then for you? What about Ezra's prophecies? Know any of those that haven't come true? They could be explained through other means. Oh my god, open your fucking eyes. They enter the graveyard. Rows of unmarked graves stretch between the low iron gates surrounding the vast cemetery. Alistair throws open the gate and swipes the lantern from Herodias as he sweeps through the rows of the graves, going back and forth peering at the names carved in the markers before he glides to the next. If you want us to look for the simplest answer and dig no deeper, then we'd still believe that the stars revolve around us. We'd believe in spontaneous generation, miasma, and the cosmology of the Jewish firmament. It's through our devotion to knowledge that we test her and dissect her, to take nothing at face value. At what point are you willfully blinded to the truth by your own vanity? Once there is undeniable proof of the existence of your faith, then and only then will I accept it as truth. As for now, however, your tenants are too narrow-minded for this world. Just as I have seen Elijah heal the sick with the words of your God, you have witnessed monsters crawl across the surface of this world. Please, explain to me, Herodias. If your God is omniscient, and the monsters we have both faced are real, then why are they not revealed in your scriptures? This is the reason I do not believe in any religion of this world. They have all contradicted what I have seen and known to be true. I do not deny the existence of some deity. I would be a fool to do as such. But I hardly suspect this unknown deity is your god, Herodias. The pair stops in front of a large pile of loose soil, which rests next to and falls over a large stone slab, concealing a grave within. Herodias lowers her spade and overturns the slab. The stench of decay wafts from the hole and sweeps over the two. Alistair coughs and hides his nose in his shirt as Herodias crouches down and tosses the slab aside. Beneath is a large open pit. Resting at its bottom is a pile of unburied corpses. The decaying process was fresh on most of the eight identical women crammed below. However, while none were severely decayed, their dying flesh in most tombs proved to be a good home for the maggots. Squirming from the eyes, ears, and mouths of Antoinette, thousands of maggots wormed and wriggled within the pit. Alistair takes a step back. A hand shoots to his mouth as he looks down at the horrific scene of eight naked Antoinettes crumpled against each other, limbs entangled and intertwined. Well, I guess that solves that. What now? I'm not sure. Never thought I'd hear you say that. Through his hand still pressed against his lips, Alistair calls out, Pull one out for me. I need a closer look. Herodias looks over to Alistair, her brow raised. His stony complexion pulls a sigh from her lips, and Herodias slides down the pit's sloped sides, 
The maggots, intrigued by the new possible meal, begin to worm their way along her boots, climbing up the leather and forcing themselves into the eyelets. Herodias wraps her arms around the chest of one of the naked women and heaves her up to Alistair. He grabs the corpse by the wrists and pulls her out. As Herodias moves to pull herself from the grave, Alistair holds up a hand to keep her at bay. He then kneels before the corpse, keeping his head over it. Oh, don't mind me, Alistair. I'll just stay down here with maggots while you and your corpse bride consummate the marriage. Alistair ignores Herodias as he takes Antoinette's head and gently turns it to the side. Queer. What is it? A protrusion on the neck. Did the Antoinette at the church have this? Have what? I can't see anything. Here, on her neck. There is some sort of... tumor. And a cut, poorly stitched. Knife. Herodias pulls a left-handed bronze dagger from her hip and hands it up to Alistair. Gently, Alistair takes the hilt and lowers himself of the corpse once more. He runs the tip down the length of the crude stitching, hugging the slight bulge on the corpse's neck. Swiftly, he places the dagger on the ground next to him and peels apart the flesh. A small gray cocoon rests on her throat. Alistair cocks his brow and pulls it from her body. What is that? I haven't the slightest idea. Perhaps Buzoni was right after all. I'll need my books to be sure. Be a dear, Herodias, and hand me another. Herodias wraps her arms around the waist of a second Antoinette and raises her with a grunt to Alistair. Alistair lays her on the ground, isolates the same lump nestled in the same position, and pulls out yet another small gray cocoon. Herodias, I believe we have what we need. Before you remove yourself from the grave, however, check their necks for me. For what? See if you can find anything. The cuts, the bulges, the cocoons, etc. Amidst the sea of wriggling maggots and piled corpses, Herodias drops to her knees and begins to turn the necks of each Antoinette. She waded through the bodies and called out to Alistair each time she found the mark. Queer. They all seem to have it. Eight marks, eight cocoons. Herodias pulls herself from the grave, and Alistair hands her back the knife. Before she takes it, she pries off the maggots, unreluctant to let go of their living meal, and tosses them back inside. What now? It's time we return to the others. They make their way through the graveyard once more, Alistair holding the lantern over one of the cocoons he procured from Antoinette's neck. So, we are dealing with a witch? I suppose so. Then how does she keep coming back to life every night? She isn't. You saw the corpses in the coffin. Unless the others let their Antoinette escape only to run past, dig up her grave, crawl inside her coffin, and somehow rebury and duplicate herself seven times, we aren't looking at the same person. What, some sort of mimic, then? Hmm, maybe. But that leaves too many unanswered questions. Before I can make any more assertions, I'll need time to pore over my books. Questions like what? Why is she taking people every time a replica appears? Where are the missing persons? Are they even still alive? Why would she clone herself only to have her clones so brazenly walk through the streets to be slaughtered? And more pressingly, where is the original Antoinette and what has she been doing this whole time? The two exit the graveyard and enter Durinbar in silence. The questions the cocoon presented spiraling in their heads as they began to fathom the possibilities. As they walked through the main street of Durinbar, a worn sign reading King Fredericks sways in the wind. Herodias catches sight of the sign and the following tankard of ale pictured thereupon and calls out to Alistair as she begins to move towards it. You all right if you head back alone? 
I don't think Martin will let you spend the night at the church. It's probably best if I poke around and get a room. Hmm? Oh, yes. You do that, Herodias. The two separate. The door to the bar chimes as Herodias slips inside. Alistair absentmindedly turns the cocoon over in his hand as he slowly makes his way back towards the church. He pulls up images of texts in his mind, studying over the words meticulously, trying in vain to uncover the mysteries of Durinbar. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to The Clergyman Immortal Woman, a leached talent production, written and directed by N.E. Gonzorn, produced and audio engineered by James Quesada, music compositions and sound design by Maddie Gosshorn, narrated by Seth Weeks, and with voice acting by the following talented cast members. Hannah Reinhard as Herodias, Vinay Nariani as Alistair, Josh Biedricke as Robert. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode, and leave us a rating and a review to help other people discover the show. Check us out on social media and on the web by following the links in the show description. Thanks again for listening, and keep the faith. 